Today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, I'm going to talk about being a guest host on Mastering Dungeons this past week. We're going to talk about RPGs in the Fediverse, including a new site, not a new site, resurrecting an old website that I used to run to do my little part of helping with RPGs in the Fediverse. What the hell is a Fediverse? You can find out about that too. We're going to talk about art. We're going to go back to an older topic of the, of, of the importance of an RPGs. Let me try that again. We're going to go back to a previous topic of the importance of an RPG's popularity and how that matters when you're trying to find people to play an RPG that isn't D&D or any 5th edition game. I'm going to share a personal experience having dealt with players and how they feel when they're facing insurmountable foes in their game. And we're going to cover our first batch of questions from the July 2023 Patreon Q&A, all today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things in tabletop role-playing games. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to the monthly Q&A, a dedicated Discord server, the City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, a bunch of exclusive adventures, and a lot more. But most of all, patrons help me put on shows like this to the patrons of Sly Flourish. Thank you, as always, for your outstanding support. This week, I had the great privilege of talking with my friend Sean Merwin as I as I helped stand in for Teo Sabadia, who was away in Italy, to talk about things in role-playing, all things in role-playing games on the Mastering Dungeons show. This is both a YouTube uh, show and a podcast. You can subscribe to either of them. I have links down in the show notes below. And our topic, we talked about a lot of the different news that was going on in the world of TTRPGs, including a segment on the Orc, the, the, the new license, the Orc license that came out as a a new version of the OGL, a new community version of the OGL. I had talked about that on the Twitch show last week. I was going to put it in the talk show and I was like, this is boring. And I was listening to it and I was bored. So I'm like, I'm going to cut it. And I cut it. But if you want to hear me talk about Orc and Creative Commons and the OGL and what it means for TTRPG publishers and what it could mean for GMs who are looking at products, you can hear me talk all about it on Mastering Dungeons where Sean was kind enough to let me talk about it. And, and I tried to dig in and make it as brief as possible and offer my recommendations for it. But we talked about a lot of other things and the bulk of the show, we spent a lot of time talking about what GMs can get from organized play, what, what, what tips from running organized play games GMs can pick up and what GMs who run organized play can pick up from GMs who play in home games. So a lot about like, what are the different, how do we compare and contrast the different skill sets of organized play GMs and home GMs? And I thought it was a really outstanding conversation. It was a really, really fun time. You can check that out once again on the Mastering Dungeons podcast or the Mastering Dungeons YouTube channel. All of those are linked in the show notes below. Thanks to Sean and thanks to Teos for letting me. Thanks to Teos for going to Italy so I could stand in another show. Thanks to Sean for inviting me onto the show to, to stand in as guest. Really good time. I love the Mastering Dungeons show. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, check it out. A couple weeks ago, I talked about, we were talking about the fall of Reddit, how Reddit has collapsed and what, what is going on there and with Twitter and all the strange horror shows that are going on there. There's this new drive towards federated systems. A federated system is essentially like email. There isn't any one single email provider. I mean, a lot of people use Gmail, but some people are using Yahoo Mail. Some people are using Hotmail. Some are using ProtonMail. There's lots of different servers for mail, and yet we're all able to communicate. So why can't we do that with social media? Well, systems like Mastodon are letting us do that. Systems like individual blogs and RSS feeds and RSS feed readers are letting us connect with other people in the TTRPG space, learn from them, and not have to go to any one central site that is really just trying to squeeze you for advertisement or provide shareholder value or draw you in with free stuff and then ruin you with ads and 
bad design and algorithms that don't serve either consumers or creators. The Fediverse doesn't worry about that. I, I'm back to blogs. I really enjoyed blogging. And I have, if you go to Sly Flourish and you go to RPG community links, one of them is the Sly Flourish RPG blog roll. These are a bunch of blogs. I got a lot of these from MT Black, who has been reading blogs for a long time. I had my own list and we put them together. It's about 80 or 90 different blogs of people who are talking about lots of different things in role-playing games, lots of creators, lots of stuff going on. Really, really fun list. And there is an OPML file, which is an XML file you can import into a feed reader so you can read it yourself. But I was like, that's, I want to do a little bit more. So I had a website that I had kept up for years that was an, an RSS aggregator specifically focused on, at the time, D&D. And I would bring in all of the RSS feeds from different D&D blogs. This is back in the fourth edition days, kind of before Twitter got really big and before social media kind of became the place where people found new articles. I kept up this blog page. And it was one page that had a list of all of the blogs and had the most recent updates in chronological order. And that was great. But then Twitter came along, Facebook came along, lots of people were finding it different ways. And I was like, I'm tired of maintaining this thing. And I took it down. But now I'm back into blogs again. And I was like, you know, I could bring it back. But just having a list of RSS readers isn't enough. So what could I do? That would be a little bit more. And I was like, you know, this new rise of large language models, ChatGPT, these other sort of systems that are able to kind of read a lot of text and then do things. It seems like this is a good place for that sort of technology to work. So I resurrected D&D blogs. Very, very straightforward website, static HTML, no big client. You just, you just run it, works well on mobile device, works well on a desktop, you know, very easy to read. And the difference is this one is reading all of those blogs in that in that blog role, right? It's reading all of these blogs and, and it looks for any of the new posts from today or basically the last 24 hours. It renders every morning. It renders at 5 a.m. UTC every morning, which I think is about midnight Eastern Standard Time. And it hits all of the blogs, see if there's any new posts. It then takes the posts and it passes them to ChatGPT and says, give me five bullet, give me five bullets back as a summary of what's in this blog post. The advantage of that is you can look and see what the title is. Then you can read the bullet point summary of what's in the article. And if you want to read more, you click more and you get more. So it's a nice way to kind of get a summary of what the blogs are there. And for me, this is really handy because sometimes I just want to get a general idea of what's going on. I don't have a time to read 10 blog articles, but I do have time to do, read a quick summary of it. And then it has previous weeks. So if you want to see like what happened the day before, you can click those and see what happened the, the day before. It renders every day, generates a new static HTML file. And unlike the always scrolling, always on, never stop just always there's always a new video there's always a new picture to see this one has an end here are the posts today once you've read it you're done you're done for the day get on with your day go on and do more stuff so that's all available at dndblogs.com you can find a link to that in the show notes below one nice thing is that the dnd blogs actually has an rss feed as well so i am aggregating a bunch of rss feeds i am reading those stuff in i'm passing them to ChatGPT to get summaries back then i'm generating a new rss of all of these feeds in one rss feed so you only have to subscribe to one feed and you get all of those and that will be continually updated with new new blogs as i'm adding to it as well so that's my little piece of the fediverse right little kind of input and output. Lots of people writing blogs. I'm summarizing them and putting them to a page. I generate another RSS feed. I give that to the other side. Really kind of handy way, handy way to go. So you can find a link to that down in the show notes below. dndblogs.com. I've also really been enjoying the TTRPG network. This is sort of a Reddit replacement based on a tool called Lemmy. I found an iOS app, actually, because I, I use my, my iPhone when I'm doing stuff. And I found a cool iOS app called Memmy which you can find in the App Store. And Memmy 
has direct access to Lemmy. So you can connect it to your network. You can say, show me the subscribed ones and you can get it. And I've really been enjoying it. This this little community here has been getting bigger and bigger. It's really fun to kind of read what's going on. I have found out to be a really good federated replacement for Reddit. So again, another sort of option where you had this centralized thing, Reddit became totally unshittified. Now we have these distributed systems that are run by people who care about the material. Great stuff. Check it out. And lastly, another little federated piece is Blue Sky. So Blue Sky is a another federated, kind of federated social media network. Blue Sky is going to have its own server, but it's also building up these other federated servers. I did get an invite. I'm checking it out. I don't know if I like love it yet. I don't think I, I, I don't love it. But one thing that Blue Sky has that's pretty neat is the ability to have custom generated algorithms that you design or you select. So instead of the application building algorithms that serve them and serve their shareholders and serve their, serve their business partners and don't really serve you other than to keep you locked into the site for as long as possible, these serve you well. So they can do things like summarize stuff. They can do a lot of them right now just appear to be kind of used the same way Twitter used lists where it shows you people that are coming in. So it's pretty Pretty, it's pretty neat. So I'm I'm keeping an eye on Blue Sky, but I'll tell you, I really love Mastodon. There are two good RPG-related Mastodon servers. One of them is DiceCamp, Dice.Camp. If you want to join Mastodon, you want to join a bunch of other RPG folks, check out Dice.Camp. The one I'm on is called chirp.nworld.org, run by Morris over at Nworld. That's another DiceCamp server. That one's been around a long time, not as popular. DiceCamp is definitely the more popular of the two, but it really doesn't matter because I can read posts from both. And Mastodon has a fantastic client on iOS called Ivory that I've been using. Ivory is made by the same people who made TweetBot when Twitter decided to inshittify, or they've been inshittifying for a while. But when they really decided to inshittify and shut down a lot of third-party applications, TweetBot was one of them. And TweetBot since switched over to Ivory for Mastodon. And I really love it. It's a very good client. And I'm really enjoying hanging out on Mastodon. I like it very much. So if you're looking for where to connect to the RPG community in the Fediverse, in non-inshittified platforms, some that I can recommend, subscribe to your RSS feeds, go check out blogs and subscribe to those blogs. D&D blogs is one way to kind of federate and bring together these things. Again, that's sort of centralized. So you have to trust me. But I can tell you, I care, right? I'm not trying to draw you in to provide information to third-party business partners. I just want to help people run great games. And this is one of the things that we do to help run great games. TTRPG Network for a Lemmy sort of Reddit replacement works really well. And Mastodon, fantastic one for dealing with Twitter, Twitter-like things. So those are three options if you're, if you're curious about how to connect to the RPG community without being stuck to these giant centralized platforms. A couple of weeks ago, I had a Patreon question from Plate who asked me as people were kind of gravitating away from 5e or wanted to gravitate away from 5e, what games were most popular? And my response was, it doesn't matter which ones are most popular. What matters is that which ones you want to play with you and your friends. And I got some feedback from this that said popularity does matter because it, it can be hard to find players who are willing to play RPGs that aren't D&D 5th edition. And those comments are absolutely right. So I realized there's more to this topic than my flippant response that was, don't don't worry about popularity. Just pick the game that you want to play with your group. So I actually posted a query out on my YouTube channel asking people, for those of you who have played other RPGs other than 5th edition or run other RPGs other than 5th edition, how did you get your groups to join in? How did you get how did you get your how did you get people to want to play these other RPGs? And I got about 100 and some responses and we're going to look at like a summary of those responses. You can find a link to read all of those responses if you want to dig into them yourself. I gave them a good skim read, then I also did pass 
them into ChatGPT and said, summarize these for me. And we're going to take a look at the summaries that came back. But ChatGPT being a fancy version of autocorrect is always kind of picking different things. But I did notice that there was one really big trend that I saw for people who had a hard time getting people to play another RPG and people having an easy time in order to play another RPG. And that was, do you already have a group or not? If you have a group, and if that group likes you and likes the kind of games you're running and you're all good friends, it's usually, according to the, the people that responded and my own experience, is that it's usually pretty easy to say, hey, there's this new RPG called Nave. It's kind of D&D, but it's very lightweight. I wondered if you'd be interested in trying that out for a session. And most of the time you'll find your group says, sure, we'll try it out for a session. They might not be that interested. Maybe they really like fifth edition, but for one session, how bad is it to say, we're going to take a break and we're going to play one session of Nave. So a very very common thing was, and this this makes sense, right? A very common thing was if you have a group, you're able to get them to probably to try out a different RPG for a session, maybe two sessions, maybe even a longer campaign if you want to. You're probably not going to necessarily get the best response if you've got a bunch of people that love 5th edition and say, we're going to dump 5th edition. I no longer want to run it. And now we're going to run nothing but Shadow Dark RPG. Now that's a harder sell, right? You're now trying to sell them on a system that they don't know for one they already know and maybe already like. So that could be tricky. But harder is when you don't have a group at all, it's harder to find people that are going to want to play a RPG that isn't nearly as popular as D&D as it is to find people who are willing to play D&D. If you're going to your local game shop and you put up two posters and you say, over here, I want to play Ironsworn or Ironsworn Starforged. And over here, I want to play 5th edition D&D. People know 5th edition D&D, so they're going to run to that one because they understand it. They're not looking for Ironsworn Starforged so that maybe they'll join in, but probably not because they're not... When you think about the first group, they're not there to play fifth edition. They're there to play a game with you. They already know you. They know you as a GM. They know the other players. You're a cohesive unit of gaming. And when, when, so then when they're coming to the regular group and they hear that the GM says, hey, I, I want to try this other system out. Maybe I want to try Monsters. I want to try Monsters of the Week. Then they might go, oh, that sounds interesting. And you can sell it to them already. They already know you. They already like you. They know what kind of game you run. They know what your, what your style is. And they're more willing to try that game out for you than if you are a completely random GM looking for random players. Well, now they're looking for a game. They're not looking for you. They don't even know you yet. They only know games. And and the games that they most likely know are D&D 5th edition compared to everything else. I don't think that there's much of like a rack and stack of like game popularity. There's certainly like a bunch of games no one's ever heard of. And then there's a bunch of games that are like, well, they're kind of big as independent role-playing games. They're certainly nowhere close to what D&D 5th edition is. But among that pool, it's probably not that, not that big a deal. If you don't have a group and you're looking to play a particular role-playing game, many, many times those role-playing games have communities of their own that you can go into, talk to people, and they often have an LFG, like a looking for a group. And if you are willing to GM it, you're probably going to find people in that community who are willing to play it. An example would be the Shadow Dark RPG. They have a very big Discord server for a bunch of people who are really excited for Shadow Dark RPG. You're going to have a lot more luck finding players that want to run Shadow Dark with you if you go to the Shadow Dark Discord server and talk to Shadow Dark people about it. Because again, they've already selected the game. The players that you're looking at, the players that you are going for, they've already picked it out. So you can go to that community. And many of these systems have these communities. They Maybe they're a web forum. Maybe they're a Discord server. A lot of times they're a Discord server. But you go try to find out where those people who are interested in that game congregate. 
go meet them there because they've now they've already selected themselves as people that are interested in that particular game and then see if you can find some players that are willing to do it if you go to conventions a lot of times they have sort of the indie rpg section where people are playing lots of different role-playing games i went to a convention recently i played four role-playing games four six five role-playing games I think it was four, four role-playing games in two days. None of them were fifth edition D&D. I was very interested in trying these systems out. So we, we went to a bunch of different ones. So conventions are another way that you can try to find people. And there are online conventions where you can find people. But generally the comments that I got back from YouTube, the things that I saw that clarified it is if you already have a group, a lot of times that group is willing to try out a new system for a session or two. You might not convince them that to, to step away from fifth edition completely. I my, One of my groups where we played around with two whole systems, we played Blades in the dark and then we played Numenera and we did that for like a good half a year right for both of those games and then we came back to 5th edition D&D because all of us kind of agreed we still really like 5th edition D&D so we went back that way but I've had other groups where we can try out different systems so there's definitely does popularity matter Sure, but it matters if you're really what you're really looking for is trying to find a group that you want to work with to play a certain system. If you already have a group, it's probably easier to get them to try out a new system than it is to try to seek out players for a game system that isn't nearly as popular from players that you don't even know and players who don't know you at all. And again, the best way to kind of deal with that is find the community of people who are centered around that game, pick some players from that and try to try to work them out. So these were, again, feedback that I got from a lot of people. Here's the, the whole link with all of the different replies in it. You can read to what everybody individually said. But I also got kind of a summary of what those different comments said. I asked ChatGPT, I said, hey, here, I fed it all the 100 questions. I said, what do you find? And it said, offering a new system as a one-shot or short adventure was quite popular. 14 different people, 14 people mentioned that. Pitching the new system and explaining its unique features. Again, that's probably part of the one-shot as well. Running games outside of your regular campaigns or during breaks. So again, if you find a good break point between your campaign, you finished one campaign, you're getting started for another, maybe drop a couple of sessions of a different RPG and system in there to give it a shot and see how it works. Another one is finding systems that work well for those one-shot things. I mentioned Monsters of the Week. Monsters of the Week is a very good one-shot system. It's very easy to pick up, very easy to learn. Blades in the Dark, similar. Blades in the Dark definitely has some options for like longer campaigns, but you can usually get through a good Blades in the Dark campaign in like a session, maybe two, maybe four. I think we did about four or five sessions for our Blades in the Dark campaign. A game like Shadow of the Demon Lord is expecting to only be run in 11 sessions. Now, 11 sessions is quite a bit, but it's certainly not a years-long campaign. But if you can say, hey, I would really like to sh try Shadow of the Demon Lord, maybe let's try it for four or five sessions to see how it goes, leveling every session. And if they like it, say, and now we're going to continue and go on. Running games outside of a regular campaign or during breaks, finding players through online communities and platforms. Again, big one. That's why I'm mentioning it. Recruiting friends and acquaintances who are open to trying new systems. If you've got a group that, that really want to play fifth edition and you're having trouble convincing them, maybe ask them about like some, maybe some of them are willing to try it. And then you want to bring in some other people that, that can pick it up. Leveraging existing RPG groups and clubs to introduce new systems. Again, find out where they are. Go where they are and ask them. Creating a safe and conclusive environment for players to explore. Of course, you want to have an environment where people are willing to say, sure, I want to try that out. Playing games in different genres to attract interest. So maybe if you say, hey, this is space-based or this is sort of more heist-based or this is modern horror. What are the different genres that you can excite them for? Particularly if there's like popular media that you can point to. Say, hey, don't you want to play a game that's more like Stranger Things and a little less like actual D&D? One thing is about making sure that you're playing a system that's relatively easy to learn, relatively easy to teach, and maybe using pregen so that you can get in the game fast. One of the issues with bringing in new systems is that players are already, they already know the system. They already know what they're doing. They already know what they like. They already know how it works. And then you're coming and saying, hey, here's this whole new super complicated system. The ones that are probably easier to bring in are the ones where you can teach the rules very quickly, get involved, get playing the game as fast as possible. Pregen character is a great way to do it. 
And then, of course, being a game master and offering to run the game yourself is definitely a better way to go than trying to be a player in one of these systems. So that's definitely those the, those those are sort of the summaries of the, the YouTube comments. But again, you may want to go and actually skim the YouTube comments yourself to find out what different ways people have had at being able to bring new players to their game. But I thought this is very instructional for me. The feedback that I got was very good. I think it's an important topic because I think it's important to try other RPGs. I think it's really fun to try other RPGs. And many times we can learn from these other RPGs and we can bring ideas into other RPGs. So you can find a lot of stuff that you like in other RPGs and bring them back into 5th edition D&D if that's where you end up back again. And again, I love 5th edition D&D. I still play it. I still love it. I still enjoy it a lot. I'm really excited that 5th edition is kind of expanding to all these new companies, Tales of the Valiant, Level Up Advanced 5e, lots of different resources, lots of different source books that we can use, campaign source books like Dungeons of Drakenheim, lots of different publishers of 5th edition now really wide category and we can play a whole lot and even if you're mad at wizards of the coast or you're not crazy about the kinds of products they're putting out there's so much stuff that we can use in our fifth edition DD games that the idea of throwing out fifth edition completely i also am not a big fan of because i think it's a really good system i really enjoy it my players really enjoy it and we're having a really good time i had an experience this past wednesday during my empire of the ghouls fifth edition game that I wanted to talk about and share and share some experiences about a thing that happened and how it played out and then looking at it and how I wish it had played out. So for a brief summary of what occurred, the characters were traveling along on a big sand barge going across a desert, a big sand ship sailing across the desert in the Southlands in Midgard. And they saw a big meteor shower coming down. And one of these meteors struck down over the horizon, a big green meteor struck down over the horizon. And it kind of exploded outwards and the the guy the captain of the ship is like you know strange meteors from other worlds often mean strange metals or strange new things that could be very exciting could be really interesting the character like yeah and so they got on a little sand skiff and they sailed on their sand skiff out to the crater and they got out of the sand skiff and they went up the edge of the crater and they look and they saw this like green smoke swirling around at the bottom and smoke coming out this greenish smoke coming out of the thing and they're like let's go down there and get some of that crazy metal and they started making right down there when like gossamer wings kind of rose out and this insectoid-faced creature with tentacles on the bottom of its body writhing around and these weird gossamer wings that didn't appear like it could possibly keep this hulking creature aloft seems to rise out and they heard this sound and they saw terrible things in their vision and they said, let's kick its ass. So they attacked it and then it started blasting them. They were seventh level. The characters are no, the characters are eighth level and they're getting slammed for 36 points of damage. Multiple targets getting hit for 36 damage, including one target getting hit with a disintegration gaze that they made their saving throw on. So they took no damage, but they were really, really like, oh, and after that first volley of hits and then they attacked it and a bunch of people missed and it's flying in the air. So all the melee attackers are like, well, we can't do anything. And they hit it with like a fire ray and it resisted fire it actually was immune to fire i screwed up but it resisted fire so they did four damage on round one and it it did 72 points of damage and even missed one of its attacks and four damage in return and i said to them you stare at this thing and and you really wonder if this could be the end of you like this is a you know you have never seen a creature like this before and half the players are like why are we even here like we came for some green metal down there. We don't even know that there is anything down there. And now there's this thing and it just hit me for 36 damage. That's two thirds of my hit points. One more hit and I'm down. And by the way, Durham over there almost got disintegrated with a gaze attack. 
maybe we should run. So half the group is like running the run. And then the other half is like, I don't want to run. I hate running, but I'm not going to stay here and die. So they all ran and they ran over the crater. They go back. The sand skiff guy is like, Hey, how'd it go? And they're like, yeah, not great. Turn that thing around. We got to go. And so they're, and a lot of them are like, what is this thing? We just released this horror in the desert and now it's going to be out here and somebody else could run into it. We need to stop it. And then the guy who's like native to it is like, there's all kinds of horrible crap out here in this desert. It's a terrible desert. Anyway, like lots of things will kill you. So no, it's, it'll be fine. Like, <laughs> it's not any worse than half of the other things in the desert so they got back on their sand skiff and they sail back and the captain's like how'd it go and like yeah not great let's just keep going and they went but what was interesting about it was how the, the how the players felt about it and one of the interesting things is that it was a really big downward beat like players hate running from stuff they just hate running from a battle first of all fifth edition DD is not great at offering opportunities for characters to run because you have like the stickiness of opportunity attacks or by the time you think you need to run one of the characters is already down there's just not a good way to kind of get your way out of the battle just mechanically speaking you're kind of stuck in it you're right there you're not going to be able to run far enough to not get hit by the next set of disintegration rays so people are like well we're here now we have to do it so once you're in in combat, it's really hard to leave combat and run in the first place. So already you have this mechanical problem. But then the other problem that you run into is that like players don't want to run. Like fifth edition D&D is a heroic fantasy RPG. It is not the sort of grimdark RPG where 95% of the creatures that you face could kill you. Most of the time you're facing creatures that you're going to be okay against like you're, or you're going to defeat pretty easily. Only occasionally you're going to fight creatures that are really dangerous. And most of the time those are boss fights where you know way ahead of time. Oh my God, we're going to go face this lich. It's going to be really tough, but let's get, you know, let's prepare ourselves and we'll go in and face this lich. And the DM also knows like, hey, we can change the dials a little bit to give you the sense, give you a good feeling that the battle is really hard and really interesting. But we know that the characters will probably persevere if they, if they fight well. So it's really hard to give that impression. But every so often you want to put something in there that's like hey the world is really dangerous if a meteor comes down and crashes down from 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 other worlds other planes and out of it comes a star spawn of cthulhu which by the way was the creature we can take a look at it so we want to have it where if a meteor crashes down and it breaks open and a star spawn of cthulhu comes floating out of this thing that we're not the world isn't conforming itself to the level of the characters the whole world as they're exploring it yeah they go to some dangerous places but every so often they go into the deep desert and they face something that's even far more powerful than they are far more dangerous than they are and you want to give that sense of reality to the world that the world can be really dangerous it's in the likewise, you also want to give them the opportunity to run into people who are way weaker than them. They get attacked by three bandits and the bandits are like, we're totally going to take you for all your gold. And you're like, you're bandits. We're, we could kill you with one spell. And they're like, nah, we got bows. We're going to shoot you with a bow unless you give us your gold. And you're like, you know, scorching ray and all three of them go down. You want to give them that impression that also the opposite is true. Once the characters reach a certain level, most of the stuff in the world is a lot weaker than they are. But you still every so often want these star spawns of Cthulhu. The one thing I wish I had done differently. This is the one tip. If, you, if you're going to get one thing out of this video, one thing that I really think is valuable from this. When you, when you as a GM know that the kind of creature they're going to face is going to be really hard, project it even before they go into combat combat with it. The one thing I wish I had done here is I wish that I had the star spawn of Cthulhu rise out of the crater 
when they were rolling up so that when they were coming out, they would see it right away and they would know. And then I could explain to them, this is a creature far beyond anything you've ever faced before. It could be really dangerous. And now they have the opportunity to not just run away, but just disengage. Just, you know what? I don't, whatever strange metal is in that crater, not worthwhile. We're going to go. I wish I had projected it sooner. Now, part of that was I didn't even realize how dangerous this creature is. I, I knew, I mean, obviously it's a CR 15, but the characters are level eight. There's five level eight characters. CR 15 is not that bad. Now, the Lazy Encounter benchmark and, and using Paul Hughes's benchmark from the Monstrous Menagerie, which is a fantastic easy benchmark, which is a creature may be deadly if its challenge rate, a single creature might be deadly for a group if its challenge rating is greater than 150% of the character levels. So in this case, 150% of CR 8s is 12. 15 is definitely higher than 12. So this is definitely on the outer edge. But also, it's a Cobalt Press monster. And Cobalt Press monsters, are they hit really hard for their challenge rating already. They have sharp little teeth, or in this case, disintegrating eye rays. So it is already a really dangerous creature. So... I wish that I had projected that before they had engaged with it. The interesting thing was like, now it has a charisma saving throw of plus six, but a single banish could take this thing out, right? So they could have, with the right landing of the right spell, they could have been victorious, but it was kind of bad luck. They were like, well, we're not sure how tough this thing is. And then they're starting to get like, they're just nailing them when it's nailing them with these 32 point void bolts, right? Multiple 32 point void bolts. That's really, that's really tough. Now, granted, the disintegrating gaze, it can only do once. So that's not a really big deal. But it was a really dangerous monster. And they ended up saying, yeah, we got to run. But it felt bad. And it felt bad because of the, they had to disengage from the battle. The one thing I wish I had different, done differently is, is reveal the monster a little bit earlier so that they would have that option to recognize how dangerous thing, this thing was before they started getting attacked. Now, one thing that I did that I actually liked that helped with the flavor of the whole thing is it didn't chase them when they ran. That once they disengaged and started moving away, I had it use this like telepathic scream and they got to see the world where the star spawn came from, this twist world where the souls of mortals are being led up to a giant machine and there's these huge star spawns that are all around you know sending these screaming entities into these into these the, the minds or into the machinations of some kind of otherworldly horror horrible machine i really like that they saw that and then i hit them with like stress effects from the lazy dm's companion they all had to make saving throws some of them had blood coming out of their eyes some of them heard the sound of screaming children but i didn't have it paralyze them i just had them say they saw all this stuff and then they ran and got in the skiff and, and, and GTFO'd. They left. So it worked out okay. And then I put some good upward beats. I had some situations that I knew they would have some agency in to, to discount the fact that they just had this situation where they didn't. They're definitely going to remember the star, the star Spawn of Cthulhu, but it was not something I would say was enjoyable to the players at the moment. And so that is really the key about this idea of throwing monsters that are more powerful than the characters are. Even if it makes sense for the situation, it is going to be a big downward beat. You're going to want to make sure to find good ways to put upward beats. And if you can project it early, those would be my biggest tips. So that was an experience that I wanted to share. I hope that is useful to you. Let's do some patrons from our July 2023 Patreon Q&A every month on the Sly Flourish Patreon page. I put up a new thread. Anybody can ask a question there. Any patron can ask an RPG related question there. They get one question a month. I read and I answer all of the questions every Friday morning that are that are on there. Some of those questions I bring forward to this show or I do a separate video or a separate article to talk about their specific thing. 
James K says, I often make use of monster dials, yay, when adjusting combat encounters on the fly. Do you have some lazy DM advice for how to make adjustments to spell casting monsters? I find that I turn the dials on their features, but leave the spellless alone. But I find I end up with an overpowered or underpowered foe. Yeah, James. So first of all, good. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning monster dials. Monster dials are great. Again, just for a quick refresher, the a lazy, the lazy monster dials, there are four different monster dials you can tweak to kind of change things as you're running the game to see how things go. You have the number of monsters. You have the hit points of those monsters. You have the number of attacks that those monsters have and the amount of damage that they do. And you can tweak these based on both what makes sense for the situation in the game and also what's fun for the game in order to make for an enjoyable experience. But spell spells are different because spells often have different effects. The spells are pretty fixed. So what do you do there? Well, one thing is you can consider that Wizards of the Coast and other publishers, including Cobalt Press, have changed how spellcasting monsters work. And now many times spellcasting monsters have ability Abilities that are like core abilities that don't look a lot like spells or they're not they don't look a lot like common spells they don't have they don't look like fireball they're usually often ray attacks or they're attack you know regular attacks that do some magical things and you can turn the dials on those really easily if you're running a monster stat block that doesn't have those you can use a book like forge of foes or you can use the sample of forge of foes that has the monster stats by challenge rating to see how much damage a monster should be doing and it offers the attack the attack bonus and the damage for any monster of any cr and you can add in your own spell-like abilities to any existing monster to give it like those blast attacks or maybe even a burst attack you can you can kind of add those spells in there and those spells then have the dials you can increase the damage you can decrease the damage you can maybe it attacks multiple targets maybe it only attacks one target or maybe you increase the number of total attacks that it does so you can look at it that way and then the other thing to do is you can add on these sort of spell like effects like does it knock them down does it burn them so that they're on fire and they have to put themselves out does it burns like does it you know eat through their armor what are some other abilities that this spell does based on the story based on the kind of spellcaster that's doing it and what they would do if it does item if they're hit with like an ice blast does it also make them move slower does it freeze them in some other way does it do something else so you can sort of turn the dials on spells to make every spellcaster you run unique so that they're not all just sitting there with your typical fireballs and lightning bolts but when they are using typical spells usually those spells have dials too you can you re- increase or decrease the dc increase or decrease the number of targets i like to extend range a lot of time like i'll look at a spell and it's like well it's not really effective the way it is now i'm just going to increase its range so that it hits more targets right you can you can tweak it the same way so think about using the dials on the spell itself the same way that you would use those dials on the monster. Increase or decrease its damage, increase or decrease the number of targets that it hits, increase or decrease its DC, add or subtract any kind of effects that it has, maybe let them do more of them around, that, that's a good way, like letting your enemy spellcaster fire off more spells than typical, that's a good way to do it. So those are a few ways to think about spells, but look at the newer design of monsters from like Monsters of the Multiverse, Toma Beast 2023, look at how spells are handled in there and then think about how you can create and and improvise your own spell-like abilities that'll let you that let you play with the dials. James, I hope that answered your question. Shantha says, how do you deal with a challenge how do you challenge a party when one of them has a very high AC and the rest don't? I have one who has an AC of 22 with just plus one plate mail and a plus one shield. The rest have around 13 to 17 AC. I don't want to take the armor away, but I also don't want the, to hit other characters all the time with high to hit opponents. This is a really good question. 22 is actually kind of on the low 
both side. I have a character who's regularly using shield and gets up to 25 or 26 AC. So AC is one of those where it is it is a breakable stat. Armor class is not intended to scale with level. So if you look at monster attack bonuses, they don't scale linearly with challenge rating. They go up about one every other challenge rating, which means when a character is able to get these high ACs, even moderate monsters are going to miss them a lot. And so it's a it's a common problem that 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 we have where if, if uh, and, and players who are a little bit optimizy, I mean, again, if you give someone plus one plate mail plus one shield. They're going to have a high AC. One thing I'd recommend is you probably don't want to, this is one if, when it's too late here, but for other people, I, om, I don't think I've ever given away a magical shield with a bonus for this reason, that it's just the AC is just too high already. Shield is already, the shield, the physical shield is already a really good bonus. And then you're adding a bonus on top of that. You can get high ACs really easily and it's really hard to deal with. Now, obviously, there are ways you can directly deal with it with things like forcing wisdom saving throws, you know, throwing monsters that do more wisdom saving throws, charisma saving throws, ways to attack creatures, you know, dexterity saving throws. You fireball them a lot. So there's ways you can directly deal with it. But the other thing to consider is that like that player enjoys the fact that they have an, a high AC. So go ahead and let monsters attack them and miss because it's fun for them to do so. Now, you don't want to do it all the time because then it gets boring and you don't want to not do it at all because then it gets frustrating. So you want to like generally oscillate if you think about your beats of boring, you know, good things happening and bad things happening, good things happening and bad things happening, that keeps the game interesting. For, for, for many encounters, you want monsters to go up and attack the person with a high AC and miss all the time because it's fun and cool. And then in other ones, you want them to get hit with things that they're not able to defend nearly as easily against, like creatures using telepathic abilities, mind flayers, you know. AC 22 ain't helping you against a mind flayer, I'll tell you. So you're going to want, this is kind of your opportunity to just shake up the kinds of encounters that the characters are dealing with. Make sure that you're not just building encounters that directly avoid armor class, but every so often that that can work out. The other thing to consider here, one, one thing that's important, and this is not like AC is just one thing, but if you think about things like moon druids who get to be very effective at certain levels because of the kind of creatures that they can shift into, monks when they get stunning strike, paladins when they get like their auras of protection, there are certain times when a character ability just makes them way more effective than typical. And instead of either nerfing it or instead of like finding ways to directly attack it, you just treat the group like they're more powerful. So if you're using the lazy encounter bench, benchmark, for example, to determine what like a deadly encounter threshold is. You treat them for every time you have a character who's got an ability that's making them particularly more effective, treat them like they're two characters in your math. You can actually treat them like they're two characters using any of the math. If you use an online tool to figure out encounter, uh, encounter ratings and stuff, you can just pretend there's six characters or pretend there's seven characters. And as you increase that horizontally, the CR rating is going to be higher. The, the, the monsters that they fight are going to be tougher or they could fight more monsters. And so it's going to make battles harder. And then one thing that uh, an unintended effect of this is the battles are going to take longer. So you want to be prepared a little bit that your battles are going to take a little bit longer. And again, you can adjust your dials. Maybe you want to keep the same kind of monsters, but just dial up their damage a little bit to account for the fact that the entire group is acting more effectively. You do it too much and your fighter is going to be avoiding all the hits, but the mage in the back is going to keep dropping after one hit. So that's a little risk too. So so this is one of those kind of advanced fifth edition techniques that you're going to have to figure out about what are some of the abilities that you can use that are effective against this character, but also how can you showcase the fact that the character is doing this kind of thing? Lightning rods, you know, always have two big brutes that run right up to this guy and beat on him 
and miss all the time. And he's like, I'm taking these two brutes. Like they're just fighting me and they're missing all the time. Like give them that opportunity is something you want to do, but recognizing that it could make the battle longer. It could do other things. So there's a lot of little tricks. Hopefully Shantha, that gives you a couple of ideas about what, about what you can do. Rigoberto V says, there's a lot of advice and homebrew out there for running low fantasy grim type games. I've been wondering what swinging in the other direction might look like. What if I want a cozier D&D? I know there are games that aim for that, but what could you do to try to elicit that in a 5e campaign? I think 5th edition really has that built in. I think if you wanted to have a cozier D&D game, skip level 1 and 2 and start them at level 3. And when you start them at level three, you immediately give them subclasses. They already have a bunch of beefy hit points. They already have a lot of character abilities. If the players are used to fifth edition and you start them at third, they're already kind of like in the hero tier. They're already clearly more heroic than the stuff that they're fighting. They're, you know, they've gotten through that first and second level, like the, the, the challenge of the grim dark style adventure. And then give them lots of opportunity to face things that are weaker than them, like like hordes. You know, one thing that makes things really cool is when you get to fight a lot of monsters and cut through them a lot. That's something that a lot of the, the grimdark style games don't really have because you're going to die all the time if you fight a lot of hordes. So there's a lot of opportunity out there. But one of the things that's interesting is kind of looking at how D&D has changed over the years and how there are now these different styles of play for fantasy RPG. And... First and second edition of D&D were very much more of that grimdark style. You had to worry about what you had in your inventory bag. You could starve to death. That There were lots of things out there. It was a dangerous game where you had to pay a lot of attention. And then third edition is where things got more heroic. You could suddenly start firing off cantrips at will. You, you know, Magic users had spells they could use all the time. It was really a big shift from first to second, from second to third edition. Uh, and how the approach of the game went. And from third edition onward, it really turned more into this heroic fantasy RPG. And I feel like that is sort of the default genre for fifth edition games, is that sort of heroic fantasy RPG. The only level where that's not really true is first level, where first level is really tough. And it's why if you want to keep that fantasy RPG, either skip it or make it really easy to go from first to second level, give them a very small challenge just to get them along the path so that they can start to get in those heroic tiers and into those heroic tiers faster. But a lot of like the, you know, what Kind of what can make for a cozier DD is also the type of adventure or the type of campaign setting you run. Eberron is a fantastic setting to really showcase heroic abilities because the whole world is heroic. You've got giant cities that tower into the sky, you've got flying airships, you've got all kinds of great, you know, stuff that make it like a high, true high fantasy RPG. Raven or Ravnica does the same thing. There are other settings that really kind of hit on this sort of high fantasy, very brightly colored world that exists that kind of break away from the grimdark style game. So what's interesting is most of the time, the people that really enjoy the low fantasy grimdark style games don't like fifth edition. They don't like how fifth edition is operating now because fifth edition is really that high fantasy, high character empowerment, high player empowerment sort of game that's very different from sort of those other ones. That's sort of different from some of the original D&D games like first and second edition, which is why we're seeing games like Shadow Dark RPG and Nave and a lot of other uh, old school essentials, a lot of systems that have kind of returned back to that old style game because there was that gap. So pretty interesting stuff. But again, I think there's lots of different ways that you can that you can make fifth edition feel cozy and not so grimdark. Start them at third level and give them in a campaign setting that really supports that sort of that sort of heroic view of the way the game works.
Friends, I want to thank you all for hanging out with me today while I talked about all things in RPGs. If you enjoyed this show and you want more material like this, please consider subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter. It's absolutely free to sign up. You get a free adventure generator PDF and a weekly RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox every week. You can also support me directly on Patreon. It's a very low price. You get access to all kinds of different things. The City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, the Patreon Q&A, dedicated Discord server, and a whole lot more. And you can pick up my books, Return of the Lazy Dungeon, master the lazy dms companion and the lazy dms workbook links for all of that are in the show notes below thank you all very much have a great day and get out there and play an rpg